Welcome to Stemiverse podcast episode 23. In this episode, Peter and Marcus talk with Josh Cox. Josh founded Reptile Encounters in 2007, following a lifelong interest in Australian wildlife. With two parents with teaching backgrounds, the idea was born to take animals into classrooms and educate students about nature. Josh is the soon-to-be author of Better Humans, Empower Your Students to Save the Planet. He has a degree in medical science from La Trobe University and worked in the pharmaceutical industry prior to starting Reptile Encounters. This is Stemiverse Podcast Episode 23. Welcome to Stemiverse, the podcast that helps educators become awesome at teaching STEM, be it at home or in the classroom. I am Peter Dunmaris, and with my co-host, Marcus Sharpie, our mission is to bring you the experiences of educators, students, and stakeholders who strive every day to make the teaching and learning of science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and art better. So here we are with uh, Josh, and Marcus is in, in Perth, so Josh is in Melbourne. So thank you for joining us, Josh, uh, a real pleasure to have you with us. Not a problem. <laughs> and Marcus, you too, you, you're off again, you're not in Sydney, what, what's yes, happening? Yes, yes, uh, I, uh, I am in Perth teaching Arduino to teachers. Awesome, it's a great thing to be doing in Perth. How's the weather there? It is actually cooler than in Sydney, so it's uh, really? only 19 degrees <laughs> in Perth. So the belief. And I think we've got 26 today in Sydney. Jeez. Uh, what about you, Josh? How are things in Melbourne? I know that you're getting ready for a big match tomorrow. I think there's a, some, some kind of final, I hear. Maybe a soccer game or something. <laughs> no, no. Spain rules football. <laughs> oh. I've actually just been down to the park with, with Jet, my dog, and had a bit of a kick of the football just in preparation. So, yeah, it's a pretty big weekend down here. Yeah, a lot of people are excited about that. Oh, so we've got to ask. Are you going for, I think it's the Tigers or the Crows, and I don't know which one lives where? Uh, well, I'm going for the Crows, actually, which is, might be an unpopular choice uh, in Melbourne, but yeah, no, I'm just, I, I like Tex Walker and, and the Crows, so that's what I'm going for. Well, good luck with it. Is the game is on Sunday, right? No, no, it's Saturday. Saturday. Tomorrow. Okay. Tomorrow. 2.30 two, two kickoff tomorrow. Great. Awesome. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> so, Josh, uh, how about you take a few minutes and tell us about yourself and uh, basically how do you relate to education? Tell us about uh, the, the parrot that's on your shoulder. I'm just looking at the photo on your Skype account. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the, the parrot on my shoulder there is Pedro. He's an eclectus parrot or a rainforest parrot uh, who I've had for about uh, 10 years now. Um, and he was 10 years old when I got him, so he's 20 years old. I've always had a, a passion for animals. So growing up as a kid, my house was a, a menagerie. So, um, you know, I had birds in the backyard. I've always had rabbits and guinea pigs, your, your typical domestic pets. And my parents encouraged that, that love of nature and the environment. So I was pretty fortunate because soon enough, the bedroom also was full of reptiles and you know, I had lizards and snakes and turtles and all sorts of things. So, yeah, the, the interest started at a very young age. Uh, the idea to, you know, combine that with education uh, actually came from my dad, who was a, a secondary school teacher. Uh, and he said, well, maybe one day, Josh, you can take your animals into classrooms and educate people uh, about the animals. And 
So animals, growing up, animals were was a pretty significant interest, but I was also very passionate about my sport, hence the going and kicking the footy this afternoon. So when I was at school, I kind of didn't think of a, a career with the animal side. I was thinking more along the sports side and I wanted to go into physiotherapy. Uh, but as would happen, I didn't quite uh, get into physiotherapy, so I did medical science at university. And while I was at university, uh, a mentor of mine sort of steered me in the direction of the pharmaceutical industry. I did that for a number of years and uh, I love the industry and I love the people that I work with, uh, but I always had this burning passion uh, for the animals. Um, so after probably around, uh, probably after two years of, of uh, working in the farming industry, I started uh, Reptile Encounters. So I was living with a few friends in an apartment in Turak and they had started a health and fitness business. So I decided, decided to start my reptile business. And after a couple of years, uh, you know, I'd get to the weekend, I'd take the, the drugs out of the boot and I'd put the reptiles in and go off and do a few shows. Uh, and after a while, you know, I got some, started getting some traction. So I had to, to quit the full-time job and go full-time on the business. And I think that was roughly 2009. So Reptile Encounters has been in operation uh, for 10 years. And yeah, our focus is education. It's primary, secondary schools. Uh, and we also do a fair bit of work in the, in the preschool area as well. So uh, we've got a, a number of different programs that are tailored to the curriculum. Um, so there's basically a different program for every single year level. And well, we do anywhere up to 50 shows in a week. 50 in a week, wow. That's get quite busy. Yeah, well, particularly around Term 3 in Science Week. That's amazing. I was going to ask, how does one... How does one buy a reptile like I kind of or a bird aren't these protected species I, I guess you can't really walk into a pet store and say I don't know I want a goanna I want a rainforest parrot how does that all work it's a little bit unusual uh, in Australia um, we tend to discourage people from keeping our native wildlife and we encourage people to keep uh, introduced animals or exotic animals like you know domestic cats and dogs and rabbits uh, all these species which are actually a, a problem for our native wildlife. I'm a firm believer in that we should encourage kids to keep native animals because that encourages them to learn about native animals and therefore have uh, a greater impetus to want to protect our native wildlife. The reality is it's not overly difficult. Uh, you need a licence. Uh, there's a different licensing system in each state, uh, obviously in Australia. But, yeah, you yeah. applying for that licence uh, and that, allows you to keep a certain number of different species. Um, there's a few different levels in Victoria. We've got a beginner licence, an advanced licence, and then if you want to go commercial, there's a, a number of different commercial uh, licences, whether you're a zoo or you're a demonstrator like we are. Um, so it, it's not, not overly difficult, but it is, a, I guess, a bit of a, a roadblock for people and tends to probably turn people away from keeping native animals. Hmm. And so that would be for uh, through the Department of Primary Industry or something like that? Yeah, it used to be the Department of Primary Industries. Now it is uh, DELP uh, in Victoria, which is the Department of Environment, Water, Land and Planning. Um, right. That <laughs> tends to change pretty regularly. Oh, we had the same name changing in New South Wales. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I wonder, Josh, what was first for you, uh, love for education or love for animals? Or did they just happen and, and grew inside of you around the same time? Yeah, well, so the passion was always for the animals. Hmm. Uh, and I believe in order to protect the animals, we need to educate the people. 
So that's where the two combine. I guess having a background, both my parents uh, were teachers, so it was probably something that came pretty naturally to me. Uh, I haven't ever been a classroom teacher, but I often get asked, you know, if I've got a teaching background, uh, which I don't. It's just, I guess, something that I've picked up uh, naturally. From naturally, yeah. Can you tell us about about the, um, the the typical show that you deliver, as opposed to schools, if I, if I'm not mistaken? So you visit schools with uh, your reptiles and you deliver an educational show. Could you step us through uh, what happens during that half an hour, one hour, or, or however long it, it lasts? Yeah, so the, the shows go for an hour, and usually with a, a standard show, uh, that'll be eight different types of animal, uh, which gives us roughly seven, seven and a half minutes uh, per animal. Uh, so what we do, we, we, bring, we bring the animals in in little transport carrier boxes, and we go through one animal at a time, we'll bring them out, we'll introduce the animal to the audience, uh, and then we'll go through, it depends on, on what year level and obviously what topic they're covering, but we'll go through a range of different points uh, with each animal. Uh, we make the programs interactive, so we also move around the circle so that all the students can touch and get a feel for you know, what the scales on a lizard feel like or you know, the feathers on a bird, etc. Uh, and then we'll get a student or two out the front with each animal and they get to have a hold and have a photo. So these are small animals, right, that you can hold and on, put on your shoulder or hold in your hand. It's not like a two-metre crocodile. Well, not necessarily, uh, Peter. We've got a, a range of different animals. <laughs> so uh, because we keep everything from, you know, marine sea stars and octopus through to you know, three- and four-metre pythons. Jeez. Um, so... Yeah, and we bring all of those animals into the classroom. So not necessarily small. Some of them are quite large, uh, but we make it a, a safe experience for the students. And also, you know, it's it's usually a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You know, it's very common for us to hear that, you know, I've never, never held a snake before, I've never touched a snake, or I've never seen a crocodile in real life. So, yeah, it's definitely a, an eye-opening experience. Um, and we think it's that kind of, it's the inspiration that they need. It's a bit of the light bulb moment that, you know, there is nature out there in this world and, you know, we do need to protect it. Hmm. How are the kids, I suppose, uh, what age kids uh, is your audience mostly? Mostly, well, historically, it's probably been the younger year levels. So probably, you know, year four to, four to eight. But we're really pushing to do more of the primary and secondary uh, year levels because obviously older people like animals just as much as the younger people but yeah just historically it's probably been more to do with the younger year levels sure young kids yeah that's why we've developed um, we've got half a dozen programs that are specifically for the secondary uh, year levels okay. so yeah we're doing more and more shows there as a sort of an outsider when it comes to you're not a formal teacher how did you go about developing the curriculums and units of work that you created so we've got a number of staff and we've, I've also had staff that have been teachers before, secondary science teachers. So mm -hmm. we've all worked together to, to develop those programs. Uh, everyone that is employed by us to do uh, shows in schools has a degree. So, yeah, Dan and Cara, our two full-time presenters, have both done animal veterinary bioscience from La Trobe. Uh, my degree was medical science. So, yeah, we we're all degree qualified. We've obviously gone through the curriculum and worked out where our programs fit and what we can teach and gone from there. And down in Victoria, do you need to get sign-off from the uh, 
like the department to get it certified as a, as you know certified training, or you can just pretty much put the curriculum together, do your best job, and the, the schools will be happy to take it. Yeah, so to to get our demonstration license, which allows us to take animals into schools, there isn't actually uh, any restriction. Basically, it's just a process of applying and you, you can get that license. There are a number of people in our industry that aren't degree qualified. And I, I see that as a little bit of an issue because obviously you can't be a, a primary or a secondary school teacher without having a degree. And so that's what I look for uh, in all of my staff. And I'm pretty fortunate that there's a lot of people that come out of university with a, a zoology degree or uh, marine biology uh, and there's not a lot of jobs uh, in the field. Uh, so they're waiting a long time to get a job at Melbourne Zoo or at the aquarium. Uh, and so that means that there's plenty of options for me uh, to employ them. I'd imagine. How are you finding these people? Well, there's a few few uh, zookeeper websites that we can advertise jobs on. But to be honest, um, we've got a constant flow of people applying to come and either volunteer their time working with us or applying for jobs. So uh, I think in 10 years, I've really only put out two ads. Uh, for jobs, so I've just had a constant stream of people uh, coming through uh, that want to work with animals. So they've got the right qualifications, but they haven't had the experience with the animals. So definitely works to my favour. Yeah, so there's plenty of uh, of good people out there that can teach about animals and wildlife. It's uh, it's good. Plenty of room to expand. I wonder now, just to get back to the classroom. We got a little kid there that encounters a python, say, for the first time, like this huge, uh, mean-looking animal. Can you describe the emotional transformation that the child goes through from like, not wanting to touch it, perhaps, to then touching the animal? And then how does a child feel after that experience? Yeah, it's interesting. There's obviously a range, and it's it's generally not what you think. It's usually the confident, the loud kid that's the <laughs> one that's really unsure and, you know, they get quite nervous. Um, but the way we structure our show, we make it that it is a very safe environment. We give lots of positive reinforcement to the kids that are a little bit unsure, um, that might be a bit hesitant. We don't make them feel scared. We don't throw any snakes at them. We don't put them under pressure. But after they've seen their, their, their classmates have a touch of the animal, you know, it builds their confidence. Uh, once they finally do something, we give them positive reinforcement. And that tends to work. So you'll quite often have kids that, you know, won't let you put the frog on them at the start, uh, but they'll let you wrap a snake around them at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. So it's a definite, yeah, transition. And also, you know, obviously with a lot of the animals that we deal with, they don't have very positive reputations yeah. out in the public. You know, whether that's snakes, whether it's bats, whether it's crocodiles, they've got pretty negative uh, reputations. So what we're doing is, instead of making these animals that you should be fearful of, you know, we're making them animals that, you know, are cool and exciting and mm-hmm. something that they, you know, might want to pursue as a career or learn about. So, yeah, it's it's really, I guess that's really rewarding from our, our point of view when you, you see kids sort of, you know, beaming and their eyes light up and they're excited and, you know, they might, might be typically shitting their pants, but they're having... <laughs> Having a fantastic time at the same time. A, a little story, I remember one day doing a birthday party for a little Asian girl. She would have been roughly five years old. And I got to the end of the, the show and the mother came over to me and she said, you wouldn't believe it, 
uh, but she's actually the most girly girl you'll ever come across. But when I asked her what she wanted for her birthday party, all she wanted was reptiles. <laughs> so it's not just not just a boys thing. It's uh, you know applicable to, to boys and girls and all ages. So yeah, that was something that I, I fondly remember. What is the hardest thing? Uh, when you're putting on a show because, you know, they say don't work with animals or children and you're doing both? Yeah, good question. I guess, you know, if you're a, a classroom teacher, you're in, you're in the same environment all the time, whereas with what we do, you know, sometimes you're in on the, you know, in the gym, in the basketball court, sometimes you're in the library, sometimes you're in a classroom. Um, so that can be challenging uh, with, you know, different acoustics. You know, if you're in a big basketball court, that can be uh, quite difficult. And then on top of that, you're also dealing with all sorts of, you know, students with different levels, you know, whether it's intellectual or whether that's, um, you know, engagement levels. You know, there's, as you know, lots of students that are now on the autism spectrum. So you're dealing with uh, all sorts of things, which, you know, can railroad your presentation. I guess fortunately for us is we've got the advantage of having animals. So they are engaging in themselves. Uh, and they are exciting and it's fun. So for us, it's I guess it's just a, a process of you know containing that energy because there's so much energy. And you know I don't have an issue with a kid yelling out or getting really excited because he's only excited because there's something pretty cool in front of him. But it's how do you keep them on track and keep them keep them going without completely distracting the whole show. Do you break your shows down to, say, a few parts where obviously there's the introductory part where you bring in the reptiles and kids touch them, and then there's, I suppose, an academic part where you talk about the animals and you talk about where they live, perhaps, and some of the habits, what they eat, or habitats, and what they eat. And then how much of the show is driven by children questions uh, once they got excited then do they want to know things about the animals yeah well i mean the whole program is educational it's all you know the, from start to finish it's all talking about about the animals you know you just have to look at the animal and go all right this is a lizard it has scales um you know it pokes out its tongue it's smelling with its tongue and why does it do that yeah why does it do that it's smelling so the whole program is about you know observing, looking at different features on the animal, you know, why are reptiles cold-blooded, cold whereas, you know, people and mammals are, are warm-blooded. So, yeah, there's a constant discussion going on from the start of the program right to the end of the program. So basically when we bring out an animal, we'll give them an amount of information on that animal, and then once we've gone around the circle and they've had a touch and a, a bit of a feel, then we'll rehash and find out, well, what did you actually learn just then? So there's a bit of a process and we do that obviously with each animal and we link link from one animal to the next animal as well so how do you know whether you have succeeded in what you set out to do in a given class um yeah well it's pretty easy if you're, you're asking questions and you're not getting any answers back <laughs> switched off yeah you know you probably haven't got your message across whereas if you, you ask a question and you get lots of answers back you've hit the mark so and sometimes you'll you'll start a show and you know you'll be pitching it at a, a level that's too high for the students, but you quickly pretty quickly realise because you're not getting the answers back that you should be. So and that's where you have to either yeah tweak your content up or you tweak it down uh, based on your audience. 
And because we travel all over Victoria, there there is a fair degree of variability um, between different schools and different year levels. So that that's pretty normal. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're we're pretty used to to garnering the feedback that we're getting from the students. Yep. So yeah, that's definitely. I guess what makes our programs different to a standard talk, we're not just going in and talking at the students, we're interacting with them. Have you found students or you know kids of that age that are not interested in Pythons? I'm not saying afraid, but you know, find that like an incredible thing to know more about. Yeah, oh, they're, they're, you know, like anything, there will always be the odd one that it's, it's not their cup of tea, it's not their thing. And sometimes, too, at a secondary level, you know, you've got that, you know, I'm a bit too cool uh, for this. But for the most part, it's not not an issue. As I said, you know, we're not forcing anyone to do anything. Um, you know, we make it really fun. And, yeah, most of the time, yeah, the students come around anyway. Yep. So, yeah, no, that's definitely so, more, more a problem, right. I guess, sometimes with teachers <laughs> that don't want to be there. Yes, yes. How much does a show cost typically? Like, like, so what's the sort of ballpark figures? Because I'm sure they're all different to an extent. Yeah, so, well, it depends how many programs that we do in a day. So in, in any school, um, we can send multiple people there and do multiple shows on the one day. But to give you an idea, so one show uh, costs 420 plus GST. Hmm. Okay, so it's pretty accessible. Yeah, if you book five in a day, it's a slightly better rate. So, Josh, why is it important for kids to be exposed to reptiles and other native animals? Can't they just read off a book, watch a National Geographic, American Geographic movie or documentary? Well, definitely, you know, David Attenborough was a, a huge part of my growing up, so I'm not mm. you know, anti-people, you know, watching uh, those sorts of programs, and they're definitely inspiring. But I think in today's day and age, it's uh, more important than ever because young people are so disconnected from nature. You know, if I think to myself growing up and probably you guys, you know, I used to get home from school and then mum wouldn't see me till it was dark. <laughs> and I'd be riding my push bike around the neighbourhood. I'd be down. There was a little lake down the end of the street. I'd be throwing a fishing rod in there. Uh, I'd be down at the golf course collecting golf balls. I'd be riding skateboards around, I'd be getting dirty, and I was always out in nature. Whereas this generation now are pretty disconnected from nature. You know, three to four-year-olds uh, spend over three hours a day in front of the screen, True. and that only obviously gets worse <laughs> yeah. uh, as kids get older. And so that time that they're in front of the screen is obviously time that probably they would have once upon a time been outside. And It's just a, a really big problem because they're now far more allergic to things. They're not getting the, mm. the uh, natural uh, microbiome, so their bacteria in their gut isn't uh, building up like it would have once done because they're not putting dirt in their mouth and they're not yep. uh, exposing themselves to, to the dirt and the environment. Um, so that's causing issues. It also means they're really disconnected from animals and wildlife and nature. You know, it's quite normal to... I take my dog down the street and you get kids that are petrified of your dog because they're taught to be scared of animals. Most uh, mums are walking around with hand sanitizer in their bags, so they're getting sanitized all the time. And, yeah, unfortunately we're killing off, I think, too much bacteria, um, which is, yeah, causing us to be sick. 
So that's why I think it's really important for kids to at least meet animals in the classroom because they're not getting it in their day-to-day lives. And I guess, you know, technology's maybe contributing a little bit, but everybody's just living busier lives, whether it's, you know, racing off to music lessons or sport or whatever it is. Uh, we don't have time anymore just to, you know, go expose ourselves to nature. And I guess the other element to that is when you spend time in nature, uh, it's very calming and relaxing. And so because uh, we're not having that time, our bodies are not being allowed to relax and, I guess, unwind. So we're all living in this high-stress state, which also uh, isn't, isn't very healthy for us. You know, if you think of it, if, you know, if you're a monkey, uh, a monkey, if he's on the ground, he's highly stressed, he's running around. You know, there's potential predators around, but when he's sitting on a branch up the top of the tree, that's when he relaxes. Well, as human beings, we're walking around, we're on our devices, we're constantly under stimuli, we're, you know, we're walking out in the street, we're going to watch for cars, but we never have that switch off. We never have that time where, you know, we don't have that constant stimulus. So, yeah, we're never allowed to relax and just, yeah, unplug. That's a good analogy. So one one piece of advice is for everybody to find the equivalent of the monkey's branch so what's what's your branch that makes you relax obviously uh, nature is hardwired in us and especially people living in large cities we tend to miss it and especially for kids have never been exposed to it so they don't really know what they're missing at all so that's what you're providing uh, as part of what you provide when you visit a class isn't it that, that reconnect to other species and nature in a way even if it's in the classroom yeah well in a sense we're trying to spark that interest and yeah. you know inspire kids to well maybe if i'm outside or you know lift up a log there might be a little skink under there or i might find a centipede or it might be a you know a millipede but just to to get them interested because at the moment you know if you ask a kid what do you want to do they'll first thing they'll want is your ipad or your, your phone so they can play games you know but we want to spark an interest in nature because it's it's very important because we need scientists and we need people that want to do research on venoms or want to do research uh, on endangered species. If we don't have kids that are interested in nature, we're going to lose a generation of scientists. So that's why, yeah, I think it's really critical that, that uh, students are interested in, in animals because it's, yeah, it's very important for our future that, you know, the environment is not in a in a great state at the moment, so we need people that are you know really passionate and uh, interested in, in conservation and what we can do to, to fix the state of the planet. Absolutely. So, if you were if you were the minister for the uh, I guess the Department of Education, what would you change? Oh, good question. Um, yeah, well, I think. Uh, if you, if you think of a lot of playgrounds and a lot of schools, they're pretty sterile environments. And what I would suggest is that, you know, the more schools that have a veggie patch or have a garden or have more plants, I think that's critical. Right? A lot of schools nowadays, they don't have natural grass because it's all astroturf or it's that, you know, rubber, mm. rubber concrete stuff. So, yeah, they're missing out on, you know, being able to play amongst trees at, at school just because they're not there anymore. So I would, yeah, suggest, you know, getting more nature into schools, um, yeah, spending more time outside, 
and also, yeah, obviously more time with animals, I think is, is crucial. I think there's been a change or an update of the Australian curriculum. Do you think that as far as nature or um, bi biology, nature subjects are concerned and outcomes, uh, has it moved towards what you consider the right direction? I think it comes down a little bit now to the schools, whether how much focus they place on, on sustainability and the environment. There's obviously, it is in, in the curriculum, but yeah, I'd like to see more of it, obviously. So there are there are schools out there that are doing a good job and there's the, um, sus, oh, I can't think of the name of it, the Smart Schools Program, which is all about schools being sustainable and you know, whether it's reducing, recycling, you know, work, learning where your food comes from, all those sorts of things, uh, I think are, are very important. If you were a principal or a teacher at a school that wants to introduce more of that type of curriculum to the students, how would you go about it? Where would you start? Uh, good question. Start with a veggie patch, maybe? <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. You know, it depends on, on what age group the students are, but, you know, for the... Say primary school. Having a, having a classroom pet, I think, is a fantastic idea. You know, like whether it's a stick insect, whether it's a frog, a lizard, uh, it doesn't really matter. But um, for a student to be able to see the whole process of, you know, an animal, you know, growing up and eating and drinking and what does it need to survive, hmm. uh, I think all those things are pretty important. It's also important for teaching empathy. Mm -hmm. So riffing on that one a little bit, which, uh, what type of animal would you recommend for a teacher who wants to get a classroom pet? Yeah, so I mentioned stick insects just then. Um, how does one get a stick insect? How does one get a stick insect? Um, well, there, there's a, a few places that, that breed them. So there's a place in Queensland called the Insect Farm uh, and there's a few other uh, businesses that you can buy them through. Otherwise, there's plenty of people um, that, that breed them so you can find them you know, for sale on the gum tree or yeah, your local classifieds. Uh, you can usually find them. Um, also, you can speak to your, your local pet, pet store, we'll probably have a contact uh, where you can get them from. So stick insects are easy to care for and they just need fresh leaves uh, every couple of days and a bit of a misting with water. Um, so they're pretty low maintenance. Uh, other pets that are reasonably low maintenance, uh, you know, frogs or fish. Once you get into lizards and things, um, they're not too difficult, but you need to get a licence um, or a permit for the school. Um, but all that's doable. Uh, we actually just sent a sugar glider down to a school in Torquay that has a little enviro centre. So a sugar glider is a type of small possum, a gliding possum. Do you use regular or express shipping? <laughs> <laughs> um, that was just a, yeah, a friend took it down for us. Um, oh, so we do, that's Korea. We do freight animals interstate, actually. Really? Yeah, yeah. I could ask how you do that. How do we do that? Not with Australia Post, surely. No, uh, with uh, Qantas Freight uh, we use. Oh, really? Yeah, so it just depends what animal you're shipping, what size container you put it in, and they're pretty fussy, actually, with how you send animals. So it's usually got to be a, a timber box so that it can't be crushed. Yeah, with a few air holes. Yeah, so it's, it's an interesting space, the, the wildlife space. And you're sending these to schools? Oh, no, no. So... This school down in Torquay, they had a, a little male sugar glider, so they wanted a female. So um, I sent them a, a female. 
but usually, yeah, I might send animals off to wildlife parks interstate or private keepers. So with our animals, yeah, we do a lot of swapping and, you know, I've got excess you know, little kangaroos and you've got excess lizards. We'll do a trade or, or whatever. So, yeah, where, where we get our animals from. Um, and obviously not everything we want is in Victoria, so uh, we need to be able to ship interstate. Then do you do, like, breeding programs and what have you? Yeah, so we, we breed quite a few animals. We're not part of any government-run breeding programs. But, yeah, there's a lot of uh, hobbyists in the in the wildlife field. So there's a lot of us that are breeding native animals and some of them are even uh, in, endangered. So, yeah, we breed them and then pass them on to other uh, hobbyists or enthusiasts, yeah, just to spread the genetics around and also, yeah, to help people out that are interested in our native wildlife. Great. Um, I just wonder, because I know that you're writing a book as well, and uh, I'd like to ask you what's in the book and... Um how long you've been working on it and whether you know it, it's something that a parent perhaps or a teacher uh, should be should be reading and looking into yeah so it's an interesting process the book writing process so uh, the title of the book is better humans uh, because I think that's that sums up the outcome of what mm. we're working for. so that's why we want to come into the classroom is because we want to create better humans uh, the title uh, is Empower Your Students to Save the World, the subtitle, I should mm. say. So what we talk about is, you know, I guess some of the issues that I spoke of just before. So there's, you know, a high number of uh, students are disengaged in the classroom and there's a, a number of reasons uh, why they're not engaged, whether that's just because the classroom environment just isn't suitable. You know, not everybody's suited to learning the traditional way, whether it's because you know uh, technology and they're just their brains are overstimulated and you know a bit brain fried disconnect from nature uh, is another one so as we know most students these days aren't getting out and experiencing nature like we used to you know they're not I guess nature play in a sense has been criminalized so you know you're an irresponsible parent if you let your kid just go off and play down the park on their own so that disconnect from nature is also, uh, causing lots of issues and then also students now are potentially disrespectful as well so whether that disrespect uh, is for the environment you know then you know if you walk through a school lately there's always rubbish around and you know that rubbish goes down the stormwater drain and ends up in the ocean whether it's disrespect for, for the equipment in the school uh, or it's disrespect for, for the teachers and the, and the staff so there's a, a number of different pr problems uh, that we're seeing that I associate with, uh, I guess, a lack of nature. So you're saying it's there's there's a connection between, say, disrespecting animals and nature, like throwing rubbish on the ground and uh, disrespecting uh, in equipment or your school grounds or people, even all those things are connected, right? Yeah, I think so. Hmm. Um, so. I guess as, you know, my evidence, you know, I haven't run a study, but it's something I'll look at uh, in the future. But we do shows all over Victoria and there's a marked difference between students that we come across in rural uh, cities versus in the metropolitan uh, Melbourne. So I think the kids that live out in the country I guess the transition in lifestyle has probably hasn't been as severe as it is in the city. Um, you know, they still still have a big block, they still have a backyard, they still ride their push bikes around 
Whereas in metropolitan Melbourne, if you live in Camberwell, um, you probably don't have a big backyard and, you know, you're limited in what you can do outside. Do they respect the animals more or less? Because I could imagine being in sort of like a rural environment and they're being much more, I guess, clinical about, uh, you know, their views towards animals. Yeah, so I, I guess, you know, that's another uh, good point, Marcus, is you know, a lot of country kids are more likely to have pets. They're more likely to have chickens or, you know, sheep or goats. So, yeah, they have that connection with animals. I guess in the country, it's maybe a little bit more challenging with snakes because they quite often fear snakes uh, in the country. So we have to overcome that. And I think it's very important that we get out there and educate people that, just because you live in, in the country, it doesn't mean you're going to die of a snake bite. Yep. The, the yep. statistic doesn't change. It's still only two people a year that die of snake bite. Um, so just because, um, you know, you see a lot of tiger snakes or you see a lot of copperheads doesn't mean that you're going to die. As long as you're sensible and do the right thing, uh, you'll be you'll be safe. Uh, in, in your experience, are they more or less empathetical to the animals? Because I could imagine them being, well, animals are either there to do work or... They're pestle vermin eating our crops, or you know, you gotta shoot it. Doing something bad, like the rabbits or the wombats. You know, having known people who have farms, <laughs> they don't have a high respect for the wombats and the rabbits and that kind of thing. Yeah, so obviously, I think with kids, you know, they're at an impressionable age, so generally they're very receptive to the animals and they're very warm. Yeah, and obviously with the older generation, there is still, you know that generation that go out and shoot the wombats or, you know, kill the snakes uh, because a good snake's a dead snake. Yep. <laughs> yeah, if we, that's, you know, if we can get, get at the students at a young age and, you know, t- change that perception, yeah, hopefully that will help in the future. So if I understand right, Josh, what you're saying through your work and through your book is that reconnecting our children with nature makes them better humans. Right, the lessons that they learned, the environment that they're exposed to, all the opportunities to learn and to talk to people and to be with animals, eventually all that turns them into better humans. Is that the argument in a nutshell? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so obviously if they're connected to nature, if they respect nature and the environment, uh, they're more conscientious, make better decisions in terms of recycling, reusing, mm. not wasting energy, not littering, you know, maybe to go to an extreme, they contribute to conservation societies or they volunteer their time at a wildlife shelter or, you know, they get interested in, in the environment. So it goes, like, it seems to me it goes far beyond the academics. Like we had, since this is a STEM podcast, a STEM-related education podcast, we put a lot of emphasis in the academics, but there's a lot more than that. Uh, when I started talking to you earlier, I thought we were going to be talking a lot about biology, and it turns out that we're talking a lot about behavior. <laughs> is, is that how you see uh, like one of your m- main missions being? Yeah, so it's kind of, it's a bit of a side effect of what we do. So mm. one of the nice things when we do a show is the students don't realize that they're getting a lesson in biology, that they're learning about habitats or environments because they're just having a great time. Mm. So the information just seeps in without them knowing it. So, yeah, and as a side effect of that, obviously, you know, we are teaching them about the animal, but they're getting exposed to it and they're, you know, getting comfortable uh, with the animal. 
and therefore, you know, it's not something that maybe they should fear like they once did. It's something that can pique their interest or that they might go and do some more research on or they might, you know, do some writing uh, on a particular animal instead. Yeah, so, yeah, I think it's, it's a, bit of a bit of a side effect yeah. as opposed to the, the direct, you know, we're not, not in there necessarily always talking about, you know, how we can conserve the animal because we've got obviously curriculum information that we need to cover, um, but it's just a bit of a, I guess, a bonus or an add-on. Oh, change the tack a little bit. You're not a classically, uh, you know, a classical educator or classically uh, educated educator. Sorry, I just yeah, I just uh, totally lost my train of thought. Classically trained educator is the word that I was going for. Classically trained teacher. Uh, how did you go about learning how to teach, and who was influential in shaping the way that you do teach? Um, oh, good question. Uh, I guess when I was younger, I did um, uh, work for another company for a few months uh, doing similar programs, and that was sort of my initial uh, experience with it. And then, yeah, I guess I started my own business 10 years ago, and we've just evolved over time. Yeah, and like anything, once you, you do it many times, um, you get better and better at it. So, yeah, there's no, I guess it's because it's a pretty unique industry, it's not like you can go to the Wildlife Demonstrators Conference to get tips on how to demonstrate wildlife. Yeah, I guess because it's my passion everywhere I go, I'm visiting zoos, I'm looking at different talks. You know, only last month I was up in Queensland, so I went and visited Australia Zoo and witnessed the, the big show in the Crocosian. So I'm always, yeah, just looking for little tidbits and things that can help uh, with our presentations. In terms of our staff, you know, we put them through a lot of training and we're always sort of, we're not accumulating lots of animals, but we're always getting new ones here and there just to keep keep people interested. And uh, obviously when you do the same show quite a, quite a lot of times, um, you know, you can get a bit repetitive. So um, we do mix up the animals a lot just to keep ourselves uh, stimulated while we're doing it. Josh, I wonder, like, imagine a new batch of educators coming out, going into schools. Do you think that they are ready to teach pretty important topics like sustainability, for example, preservation of uh, natural resources, uh, quite important topics for the next few generations? Do you think they are ready and what can they do to prepare themselves if they're not? Yeah, good question. Uh, I guess, well, next year they, they can read my book. Yes. Uh, um, yeah, but obviously these issues, they're, they're not simple issues. They're very complex. You know, we've still got a, a government that wants to build a giant coal mine. So, mm. you know, the government doesn't get it. it. It's not an easy one. And obviously there's different views uh, from uh, different people. So I guess we just need teachers that are inquisitive and want to learn and uh, look at the facts and do your research and, you know, look at the state of the planet where we're in the midst of a, a sixth mass extinction. So uh, it's not a good sign for the world. Uh, climate's warming. You only have to look at all the hurricanes and cyclones that are happening overseas at the moment to know that something's a bit awry. We know for every one degree increase in temperature, I think the uh, atmosphere holds 7% more water. So that's sort of... Yep. makes sense while we're having all this cyclone action. And droughts as well, like the extremes. Yeah, exactly. The, all, the, all the evidence is there. We just, 
I think good teachers are inquisitive teachers that want to learn, that want to be at the forefront uh, of this sort of information. So, yeah, that's that would be my suggestion. What advice would you give to people who are putting on shows to, I guess, younger students? Because you're, you're doing something that's quite hard uh, with, uh, I guess, both an unpredictable audience and uh, unpredictable animals. Uh, but what more general advice would you give to somebody who's just putting on shows or uh, educational seminars to kids? How to prepare? How would you deliver it? What's your tips and tricks, really? Yeah, well, I guess for me, um, it's I've got the advantage of, you know, I'm passionate about the animals and that comes across when I present a show. So it's just I'm being me, I'm being real. Uh, the students connect. I also, you know, don't just connect with the students, I connect with the teachers and, you know, anyone else that's there as well. So um, because I'm so passionate about the field that I, I teach in, I think I think it makes my job pretty easy. So I think just being authentic and genuine and um, being yourself is just the best way to go about it because, you know, if, as, as someone that comes in, you know, on an ad hoc kind of basis, you know, Mm-hmm. Um, I'm someone the students can look up, up to, mm-hmm. you know, if they're, they're really passionate, you know, maybe they might want to follow in my footsteps and seek a path working with wildlife, whether it's a zookeeper or a presenter or, or whatever it is. Yeah, so I think just being that really positive role model. Uh, who's uh, who's your role model if you have one, like uh, somebody that you really admire when you were younger perhaps? Yeah, well, I guess the, there's probably – Two in the wildlife space, and that would be David Attenborough, who's mm. a big one, uh, and also Steve Irwin. Yeah. What are the qualities that these two people have or had that – I think David is still alive, right? Yeah. What do you admire in, in, in what they do? Yeah, well, they're just both, you know, extremely passionate about the environment, and, you know, they're getting that message out to the masses, you know. And Steve, while a lot of people, you know, weren't big fans of him. What he did was really get the message about crocodiles and the environment, oh, yeah. you know, out to a, a big audience. You know, he was he was probably bigger over in the US than he was here in Australia. Yeah. And you know what he was all about was, I guess, generating income so that he could buy up land and revegetate the land. You know, he's got the Steve Irwin Foundation, and yeah, that really sort of hit home for me that that's what I want to do. I want to. Yeah, get people interested in nature and the environment and do what I can to, to protect it. Great. So you've had the business now for 10 years. What do you know now that you wish you knew when you were just starting out? Oh, good question. Um, yeah, I mean, as you know, everything. There's, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot. Probably not so much from the customer viewpoint aside. You know, what, I think what we do in the classroom is very good and, you know, we get very uh, good feedback from customers. So it's more sort of business operational side that, mm-hmm. you know, I wish I could change from time to time. What would you have changed? What would I have changed? Number one, top priority, top change. Top change. Oh. <laughs> Definitely business processes and, yeah, I can't really pinpoint one thing yeah, so <laughs> that much. I would have changed, but, yeah. I think uh, I think Marcus wants to ask about your programming language of choice. Do you do programming? Okay, <laughs> I'm just joking. I guess you might have done some at university. Just, just joking. I don't know. <laughs> well, I've actually got a funny story. So I was at uh, an education show about a week ago, 
and the stand next door to us was a, um, a guy who had a robot. And you could talk to this robot in English. And this, and this guy had to go to lunch. So he said, oh, do you mind if you just watch my robot um, while I go to lunch? I said, yeah, no problem. So anyway, I'm standing in front of the robot and a lady comes over and says, oh, what language uh, is it? I said, oh, it, it's English. You talked to it in English. <laughs> and she looked at me with a blank face like I was a complete idiot. Anyway, I, I think she made a programming language, right? Oh, I thought you would be the man who would know Python. Actually, I th- it's program- yeah, it's th- that's one thing. Programming story. I thought what you, what would what happened after that man came back would be to like look for his robot and uh, not being able to find it, and then um, say, "Oh, my my Python ate it." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <That> yeah. <joke>. Sorry. <laughs> oh man, great. Um, Josh, any, uh, I think we're just about out of time, but I wanted to ask if you have any parting thoughts for our listeners. Remember, our listeners are predominantly teachers and parents, so uh, I think uh, they are your audience. What would you like to say to them? Yeah, well, um, give us a call if you uh, – we cover a broad range of topics, and I think uh, probably a lot of teachers wouldn't realise that we don't just do reptiles, we do – we have insects and mini beasts, so all sorts of invertebrates. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do a Stars of the Sea program, so we have a whole range of animals that are out of Port Phillip Bay, um, which is pretty cool. Uh, we do birds and mammals, so we have a, a feathers, fur and scales program. We can also do a threatened and endangered species program, so we've got a number of animals that are at risk of extinction, and that's probably, one of, that's probably the show that I'm most passionate about because... Yeah, I think it's critical that we learn about these species that uh, are on the brink of extinction. Yeah. Do you go into state to deliver your courses? We don't go into state because, as I mentioned earlier, there's different licensing in each state. Oh, yes, that's right. So it's a bit of a, a paperwork nightmare to, to go into state. Plus, it's tricky transporting animals yep. uh, full stop. We also, as I mentioned earlier, do secondary programs. So we've got six programs specifically for secondary schools. So we can do classification, we can do body and organ systems, uh, ecosystems, energy flows, evolution and genetics. Uh, and we can also do unit one and unit four VCE uh, bile as well. So yeah, we can cover from year, from prep right through to, to VCE. We've just... Uh, uh, put up a brand new website in the last few months, so reptileencounters.com.au. Feel free to get on there and have a look and, uh, yeah, touch base. That's awesome. Well, thank you very much, Josh. really enjoyed talking to you, and uh, I'm going to get my kids out to do some bushwalking tomorrow morning, first thing, before they get into the PlayStation. Yeah, yeah I promise. <laughs> thank you very much for having me on, guys. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Josh. That's all for this episode. If you have any questions or suggestions, please send them to our email address, questions at stemiverse.com, and we'd be happy to answer them. Do you want us to interview someone in particular? Let us know. Visit us at stemiverse.com to get the show notes of every episode. And subscribe on iTunes by searching for the name of our podcast, Stemiverse. That is S-T-E-M-I-V. E-R-S-E. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.